I have entitled uh, the message for this morning, Dealing with Difficulties, Even Disasters. How did Paul do it? But before we look at the passage that I'm going to focus on in 2 Corinthians, I'd like us just to think a moment about difficulties. We just heard the beautiful song about when troubles strike and the need to recognize that, that God has another plan. But we also need to recognize that the difficulties often cause us to have difficulties with God himself. After all, isn't he in control? Why has he allowed this to happen? And sadly, there are people, you probably have even known some, who, who had been walking with the Lord, believing in him, but some difficulty, some disaster comes into their lives and it turns them away from God. They get disappointed with him. They say, well, I can't believe in him anymore. He let me down. We need to be prepared ourselves for that, but also that God may bring us into contact with somebody who has lapsed away from the faith over the difficulties that they have encountered or that loved ones have encountered. There are the difficulties that are common to all humans. I suppose most of us are aware, uh, and we heard a reference to the devastating fires that are uh, south of here, down in San Diego County. And the warning that the fire season has started earlier than usual. This could be the, the worst one for all of California and surrounding states. And if we follow the news at all lately, we, we know there have been horrible tornadoes in the, the Midwest and, and floods there. And of course, we're always uh, aware of the fact that at any moment we might have the, the big earthquakes uh, here. Uh, these disasters strike strike uh, not just uh, believers or unbelievers, but they, they strike all. Uh, they're common to humanity. And uh, then we look at some more closely related to man rather than nature, as you have heard the news about the horrible mine disaster in, in Turkey. Uh, we hear about our own mine disaster from time to time, and it usually is in the number in the single digits or, or maybe the low double digits, but then here in Turkey we, we hear there's, uh, it's up in the hundreds there. And, uh, we don't even hear as much about the ones in China and other parts of the world where they don't have, uh, even the concern for standards that we do. And, uh, so we know that there are these disasters and this doesn't even get into the kind of disaster that happens, uh, with human conflict, the, the one in Ukraine is uh, in the news right now. Uh, not so much in the news, but very much affecting uh, brothers and sisters in Africa or conflicts going on in, in northern Nigeria and in Central African Republic and in South Sudan. And then I've just been informed yesterday that a, a meeting with some of my colleagues were going to in Kenya. They're being warned about uh, maybe they... You shouldn't come to that because of increased turmoil uh, in, in that land. And, and so there are these difficulties, these even disasters that, that affect uh, humanity all over, whether from nature or from our own difficulties in getting along with each other. 
But then there are also disasters and difficulties and trials that are specific to Christian believers. Uh, we hear from time to time about problems in, in China and, in fact, recently a, a big church building there that was part of the official church, recognized church, has nevertheless uh, been summarily torn down. Of course, we know the, the church is more than just the building in which it happens to be meeting. And then we hear about the, the constant challenges in, in North Korea. Uh, and, of course, the, the hostility in, in most Muslim countries that's going on uh, against Christians there. And, of course, a lot of people are understandably concerned about the directions that India might be taking with the overwhelming election of somebody who's been representing the, the Hindu nationalist movement uh, there, although he, his election is more supposedly on grounds of trying to get things improved economically there. We can only hope and pray that that is uh, the case, rather than uh, increased persecution against the large uh, Muslim and at least sizable Christian minorities there in, in India. Here in America, as was mentioned in an earlier meeting, uh, our own uh, persecution, as it were, our own difficulties are, are milder compared to what is going on in much of the world. But, but even then, within one's family, uh, if one commits oneself to Christ and is following a, a different road than others in the family might be, it can lead at least to tensions and difficulties and strains in, in the relationship, and sometimes even to being completely cut off. And, uh, and, and it can be at work, too, if, if one acts in, in, in a different way and more concerned for ethical behavior and things of that nature, uh, we can experience it uh, here. Uh, we should know that we as Christians are not exempt, certainly not from the suffering which humanity in general can have, and uh, even that we can have our own that's aimed against us uh, as Christians. And we have to say that because sadly there are those uh, people being very selective in the parts of the Bible they use which say that, well, if a person is, is um, truly a Christian and truly walking with the Lord and truly believing, uh, God will protect them from problems uh, in health and even uh, maybe problems in money. And we sometimes refer to that, I don't know they refer to themselves this way, but as the health and wealth gospel, or name it and claim it. Uh, and uh, you can, I'm not going to, tell you where, but you can find these people uh, on the internet, uh, and there's some large churches, not only here in America, but especially in other parts of the world, that, that seem to build upon this, this message that, well, come to Christ and your troubles will be over. And that's a lie. It's not true. And we ought not to give people the impression that by coming to Christ, uh, that uh, this will solve whatever problems uh, they may have or might have in the future. And I think one of the ways to, to confirm that is by focusing in depth upon this passage that I've selected from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Now, it applies to Paul's specific situation, that he was uh, suffering a lot because of, of his apostolic ministry of traveling around. And uh, he could have avoided a lot of these problems just by 
shutting up by keeping quiet, by just waiting for the Lord to come and take him away. But because he was out serving the Lord in the way the Lord was directing and opening doors and closing some, he was suffering. And uh, Paul is writing this letter in part because there were people who were saying that, well, Paul must not be an apostle because if he were, God wouldn't let him be suffering that way. The fact that he is having these problems uh, shows that he must not have all the truth that he claims to have. And Paul had to write this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to combat this. And he did acknowledge, yes, that he's suffering, but they were drawing uh, the long, wrong conclusions. He wasn't trying to deny uh, the suffering. But as we'll see in the passage, as we look in detail at it, that the way in which Paul dealt with the difficulties, even the disastrous difficulties that he was facing, there are certain principles that can apply to us, even though we don't have apostolic ministries and aren't traveling uh, as vigorously and aggressively as he was, and, and so forth. So, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, to help us remember this passage, I encourage, uh, I'm happy with your scripture memory that uh, some of you participate in uh, before this service each day, each Sunday, uh, but all of us should be familiar with passages like this and to help to remember the basic uh, points to apply it to ourselves and as the Lord opens doors to communicate it to others. And so I found uh, that I could, without stretching too much, come up with a one, two, three, four. There's going to be one reality that we see here. There are going to be two goals. There are going to be three identifications, and that's a key part of how Paul dealt with the difficulties he was facing. And then we conclude with four distinctions that Paul wants us to keep in mind. He wanted the Corinthians to when he was writing way back then, and he wants us to now as the Holy Spirit applies it to us. So first of all, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, the one reality, and that reality is that we all do have difficulties. And Paul says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay. The older version, I think, says earthen vessels. That sounds sort of elevated. Jars of clay brings it a little bit more down to the ordinary uh, receptacle that people had in those days. We now use plastic bags or plastic containers of some kind or other. Uh, but for Paul's purposes, one of the advantages that the uh, jar of clay had is everybody knew it was fragile, that it could break easily. And in fact, that's one of the ways that archaeologists are able, as they dig down, to be able to, to see the various layers. And, and because back then, even as now, uh, styles change, they can see as these styles evolve from the way the clay was made and the patterns on it and so forth, that these fragments that don't dissolve into the surrounding soil, these fragments of a broken jar are enabling us to date things archaeologically. So the people who heard about the jars of clay knew that Paul was talking about something that was common uh, and that everybody had to use to put stuff in, but that it was fragile. And they could easily break, and you had to get another one. 
jars of clay, often breaking. And uh, that's what Paul says we are. We need to recognize that for us. But then he goes on in verses 8 and 9. And he says that we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed. This is a word that refers more to our minds and that we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what direction to take. But not in despair. And elsewhere, Paul can make that clear and James makes it clear because we can ask God for wisdom. We especially come to God for wisdom when we don't know where to turn. And so Paul says, um, perplexed but not in despair. Then verse 9, we're persecuted, or that's the word that indicates we're, others are chasing after us, but not abandoned. God is still with us. And then we're struck down, struck down, but not destroyed. We're able to get up. So Paul, despite being an apostle specially chosen of God, Despite being somebody who was obedient and doing what God wanted him to do, following God's plan for for his life, he was certainly having serious troubles. And as I said, uh, one of the reasons he wrote this letter is because there were those who were then arguing that, well, you know, that that shows that, that, uh, that Paul must not be the apostle that he's claiming to be. And sadly... Uh, that happens even today when somebody might be serving the Lord but having difficulties and some other Christians will say, well, you know, uh, maybe that sister, that brother uh, shouldn't be serving the Lord over there because, you know, why are they having all these problems? Now, sometimes that is a legitimate question and people do need to have the, the elders and the leaders of whatever ministries they're with, you know, asking that kind of question. But other times... The fact that they're having difficulties and having opposition might be evidence that they are doing what God wants them to do and there just is a lot of resistance there. So we need to have sensitivity in this issue. But Paul is making it clear that the fact that he as a Christian suffers, the fact that all of us as Christians are suffering in one way or to one degree or another, does not invalidate who, who God is and what he, as we heard in the song, he has another plan. He is even using our suffering to, uh, to accomplish his, his purposes. And so Paul is saying that, uh, the one reality is that we as, as Christians, uh, do have difficulties, even uh, disasters. And they can be of the natural variety. Somewhere else in this letter, Paul talks about the danger he faces from various people, various opponents. But he also talks about the dangers that he faces from the rivers. And that, of course, refers to flooded rivers that he's trying to cross and they're trying to, uh, the river's trying to drown him. Well, that's not because he's a Christian. That's because he's um, trying to get across a, a flooded river. And uh, so, anyway, Paul is saying the one reality, and we need to keep that, that in mind. And particularly, to know it when there are those who are uh, wondering, well, is God really in control or uh, was I really right to, to be interested in following God? But Paul goes on now to give us two goals. And the first one is also here in verse 7. 
He says, we have the goal of showing that the all-suppressing power is from God and not from us. In other words, we are jars of clay, but people in olden times could sometimes put uh, their treasure in what looked like an ordinary vessel. In other words, instead of putting it in one of these fine uh, pieces that's in a museum today because it's, uh, you know, was made out of a very uh, ornate uh, metal and it was a way of, uh, of showing that, well, you have quite a treasure inside this very fine receptacle. But they say, no, well, I want to put my gold coins that I'm saving for a, a rainy day. I want to put them somewhere where the thief doesn't think they are. Uh, so I'll, I'll uh, put it in this ordinary uh, clay pot and try to remember which one I put it in. Uh, so Paul is saying the treasure that we have is the good news of the grace of God, of who God really is, what he is like. And this is the treasure. And our goal is to make it clear that it's not we who are trying to get people to follow us. In fact, a few verses earlier, Paul says, we're not preaching ourselves. And we're not trying to get people to come to Christ because we're such wonderful people and they will really enjoy uh, our fellowship and, and our camaraderie and, and so forth. That, that should be a byproduct. But the main thing is to come to Christ. And when someone points out, as they often will do, uh, about, uh, well, what about this Christian? What about that Christian? Uh, what about this, the way that these Christians have behaved, or either in general, or they'll go back in history to plumb up some things, or they'll talk about somebody they've known in, in their own immediate context, maybe even their own family. And we need to be quick to acknowledge that not only we ourselves, but our fellow Christians are in one sense like clay pots. We are fragile. We are sinners. That's why Christ had to die for us. And we're not trying to get people to come join us. We're trying to get people to come to Christ. So, that's one goal. The other goal, we have to, to skip ahead to verse 15. Otherwise, we'll try to stay in order here, but it seemed like... This is another clear goal that we have in verse 15, where Paul says, let's skip up to verse 15 there of 2 Corinthians 4. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. In other words, Paul keeps in mind that the goal of why he is going through all these difficulties, even being knocked down and so forth, but the, the reason is because it's a way of getting the good news out, and as more and more people respond to it, it, it yields more and more praise to God, more and more thanksgiving to Him, so that makes it worth it all. That... Uh, he sees that as the goal, this, this inerts the suffering, the, the disappointments, the discouragement, and the disasters. They are in the plan of God as a way of getting the good news out. Now, Paul, of course, was, was a, an apostle who was taking uh, the gospel around and seeing churches planted directly by himself or indirectly by his disciples. And most of us are not in that kind of ministry. But, you know, God can be using us within the context that we do have, as to how we respond to difficulties in our lives, 
God can be using that as one step in how it is that people come to know him, to appreciate his grace and who God is. In my own case, the person, uh, key person at the university where I was, fellow student, that, uh, that got me to thinking seriously about his knowledge of God compared to mine is when he, in, a, in an offhand, casual way, uh, indicated the kind of persecution he had been undergoing the previous summer when he was off at a logging camp and the, uh, his fellow uh, people, young people working there, had nothing better to do than to uh, pick fun of him uh, and in other ways make things difficult for him because of his firm Christian commitment. And God used that to make me realize that my own nominal Christian faith was a different quality from what his was. And did, did I really know God or was I just being part of a sort of a cultural Christian? And so God used his suffering and his response to it of this fellow student as one step, a key step in what got me into the family of God in a genuine sense. And God can be doing that with you, too, in your situations as to how you respond to whatever difficulties you may be facing. So Paul kept in mind uh, the goals that, on the one hand, to make it clear that it's not about us, it's about Jesus, and on the other hand, to realize that God is using this in various ways that we can't necessarily see as to extend the good news and the grace of God to more and more people. And then, as a result, God gets more and more praise. Now, now we come to sort of the, the most important, in some ways, what, what Paul was doing as a constant reminder to him as to how to deal with these difficulties is uh, these identifications that we see in verses 10 through 14. There are three of them. And the first one, it's verses 10, 11, and 12. And he's sort of saying pretty much the same thing three times, which seems to me to be a way of trying to indicate how important it is. And so let's look at verses 10 through 12 of Second Corinthians 4. Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, this is a, a pretty somber thought. But what Paul is reminding himself constantly is that he is identifying with the death of the Lord Jesus. Now, when we come to the Lord's Supper and we take part of the bread and the cup, that's, that's what we're doing. We're saying, I identify with the Lord Jesus Christ who died for me. That we want to, in a sense, by taking that little morsel of, of bread into our bodies and then by uh, taking a little sip of, of the cup, 
we're saying we identify with Christ. That Christ is the one who died for us. But when Paul says we carry around in our body the death of Jesus, it seems to me that this is a way Paul is saying that we need to constantly remind ourselves that God allowed Jesus to suffer. That he didn't keep this, this horrible form of execution from happening to him. That God allowed it. And so why should I feel that as a follower of Jesus, God is going to keep me from having to suffer if, if his own son went to the cross and died for us? So Paul is saying I'm carrying around, that is I'm constantly reminding myself that Jesus died for me. Now, in our earlier meeting, there was some brothers who sort of made that same kind of thought. And, and they have good basis for doing so because that's what Paul is, is here saying. That whenever he faced a difficulty, he says, well, Jesus faced difficulties too. And, and even more than the physical suffering, there was the suffering from coming to his own and his own received him not. There was the rejection that Jesus had from so many of the people who were there. And even his disciples, sort of most of them, kind of kept their distance and, and uh, didn't want to be identified with him and, uh, as the authorities closed in. And so the death of Jesus is really reminding not only that God allowed Jesus to suffer, but also that the, the humans who should have been receiving receptacle to the uh, the Messiah, who was long promised, and Jesus had been fulfilling so many of the prophecies and doing so many of the, the works and all that were uh, said the Messiah would do, and yet they still were rejecting him. And, and so that shouldn't surprise us that people might be rejecting, will be rejecting the, the message, the good news that we're seeking to share. And so Paul, as I say, it seems to me three times he's saying pretty much the same sort of thing, that uh, in order to bring life to others, in order to spread the good news with others, as well as appropriate it for ourselves, we do need to realize that there's pain involved, the kind of pain that comes from Jesus' death, yes, but also the pain that comes from rejection of so many opposed to uh, the message, the message of grace that, that we are entrusted with. So, that's the first identification. Paul identifies himself with the, the death of Jesus. And then verse 13. I might even wonder why this particular verse is inserted here. Paul says it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, you have a footnote in your Bible that says this is a quote from Psalm 116, verse 10. And don't look it up now, uh, but I suggest that sometime you do look up the whole psalm, all of Psalm 116. We need to remember that in olden times, people didn't have their own copies of the Bible to carry around. Uh, that it, uh, they had to be handwritten, hand-copied. 
they were big uh, scrolls. The book hadn't been invented yet. In fact, in fact, the books as we know them are probably a Christian invention. Uh, but there were scrolls. And uh, they were big and bulky. And the synagogue would have a scroll. Uh, and someone would get up to read it, be taken out and, and so forth. But people, it was more of an oral culture, even though the Jewish people in particular and many others were able to read. Some were able to write. But that uh, you had to memorize these things. You had to learn these things. And then often you could trigger somebody thinking of a whole passage just by a brief reference to it. And evidently, even though this particular phrase, I believe, therefore I've spoken, which, by the way, may be a translation of the Greek translation rather than of the Hebrew, in case you see in your Bible that it doesn't quite seem to say that back in the passage itself, that uh, this was maybe the, the trigger verse that people could think of the whole psalm. Just like today, if, if I mentioned the Good Samaritan, um, it's interesting, even people who don't know the Bible maybe have some idea of what is referred to by a Good Samaritan. And you don't have to go through the whole parable in order to make whatever reference you want to. Or if you speak about a prodigal son, again, people don't always know about the, the whole story and often miss one or two of the main points of the story, but they do have kind of an awareness of what is meant by speaking of a prodigal son. And so I think it's in that sense that Paul is using a phrase from Psalm 116. But even then you say, well, what's the identification? Well, I think the identification is Paul is saying, that if you go back a thousand years to, to when this psalm was written and all the times that it's been recited since then and so forth, you have a community of believers, community trusting in God. And that's one of the main themes of the psalm, by the way, is, is the person trusting in God and God's faithfulness despite all the problems and troubles and difficulties they're facing. And so Paul says, look, I'm out here preaching the gospel, but this isn't something that's brand new. Yes, the the gospel itself uh, is only now revealed in the way we're preaching it, but it's based upon the promises that were given way back, at least back as far as Abraham, uh, and in some ways even before, and that uh, uh, there's been a community of believers who have responded to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and who have been faithful down through all the ups and downs uh, of, of life uh, over these past couple of thousand years, and that uh, uh, I identify with that community. And I realize that as God has been faithful in the past and has faithfully uh, brought forth uh, the Messiah as was long promised, so he's being faithful to me even now. I'm identifying with him. And we, as Christian believers today, have a further 2,000 years that we can be identifying with the community of believers in the gospel uh, over the centuries and see all the suffering, the, the trials, the tribulations they've had and recognize that God has proved faithful. He's been accomplishing his purposes uh, even when at times it seemed like things were going to come to an end and that the church was going to be wiped out and so forth. So Paul is saying we need to identify the death of Jesus, but we also need to identify with the believing community. In his case, it was people of what we would call the Old Testament. In our case, we can carry it on to the Christian people for the past 2,000 years. 
Sometime if the Lord allows, I could maybe have an opportunity to share a little bit about uh, the history of Christianity because a lot of us aren't aware of, of what's been going on for 2,000 years uh, in God's working with uh, his people. But then we have the third crucial identification, that's in verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So it's not just raising Paul, it's raising Paul and those to whom he's writing and us who are now reading this. And it's will raise. He's raised Jesus. Jesus has been resurrected. And he will one day raise us. We can live in the light of that resurrection, but it hasn't yet happened. And so we don't yet have bodies, surprise, surprise, that are prepared for eternity. Our bodies are wearing out, as Paul will say. But we can have the assurance that just as surely as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, so one day we also we raise from the dead. So Paul keeps that in mind too. That's the third identification. Identifying with the death of Jesus, identifying with the people looking forward to and then looking backward upon Jesus and now identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, verses 16, then 17 and 18, we have the four distinctions that Paul is making. He says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. By the way, this is the verse that he began this chapter with. So it's sort of bookends of the chapter. Um, we do not lose heart in the sense of getting discouraged or maybe even a little bit stronger in the sense of giving up. We don't give up. Yeah, there's a lot of obstacles that we're facing, a lot of opposition, but we don't give up. And then he says, outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So Paul is making the distinction between our bodies, that's the outward, and our spirits, that's the inward. God is renewing our spirits, even though our bodies are getting older. I'm getting older. All of us are getting older. Uh, and we hear about people that we need to pray for as they get older, that we, we will, uh, but even younger people at times, have physical problems. Now, we do need to mention here uh, a, a sad reality, and that is, in case you didn't realize it, that the brain is part of the body. And when Paul is speaking about our spirits uh, being renewed day by day, we do have to acknowledge, and maybe some of you have folks dear to you like this, that their brains are wasting away. And they're experiencing dementia. And uh, we can't really honestly say, oh, their, their spirits are still high. And, and all. They may be physically strong. Physically, maybe that's a problem even. Physically, things appear all right. And then at times like that, we need to remember that even when we become Christians and we do receive the mind of Christ, we still have the same brain. And our brains are subject to maladies of various kinds that uh, even as our bodies are. 
And so we do need to make awareness of that. And that in, in itself can be a tremendous trial when somebody who has been fervent and vibrant, uh, either in general or especially for the Lord, and, and then it's as if the lights start going out. And then we need to recognize, well, when Paul says, outwardly are wasting away, in this case, the brain is also part of the outward. So let's just keep that in mind. And it calls, of course, for great pastoral discernment as well. But then Paul, so the two of the distinctions are between the inward and the, the outward, between the body, including the brain as a physical organ, as well as our, our mental attitude, our, what the Bible would refer to as our minds. And then in uh, verse 17 and 18, Paul says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's the contrast between time and eternity. The contrast between the body, including the brain, and the inward, the the mind, the attitude, the spirit. And then the contrast between time and eternity. The the fastest growing uh, age group of people in, in our society are those who are over 100. And next fastest growing are those who are over 90. Nevertheless, it's still, even if you say 110 is a long time, what is it compared to eternity? Paul is saying here, momentary compared to eternity. And you may be feeling that you have or you know somebody who has a very heavy burden. But Paul says, the word he uses, that compared to the eternal weight of glory, and by the way, uh, the Hebrew word for glory is also related to the the root for, for weight, or some sort of burden like that. The weight of glory, that it's light by comparison. And so, that's the other thing, the way that Paul deals with his difficulties, is saying that compared to eternity, compared to what we can look forward to on the basis, the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the assurance of what the Word of God tells us that we we can't fully comprehend or appreciate what's ahead of us, but we can know and act upon the reality that it is going to be something that far outweighs and is far longer than anything that we can suffer, any difficulties that we have here and now. And therefore... We fix our eyes, we, we keep in our minds, uh, not on the things that are seen, the visible things around us, but on what is unseen. We fix our minds, our eyes, our thoughts on that which is eternal. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you that even though he experienced this great reality of uh, difficulties, even disasters at times, that he kept the goals in mind of focusing on you and on spreading your good news to more and more. 
the identified with the death and resurrection of Christ and with the people of God over the many, many centuries. And then he kept in mind the distinction between our bodies which are aging and getting weaker and wasting away and our, our inner spirits being renewed as we keep our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon uh, the eternity that we will have to be with him. Father, we pray if there are any in this room who do not yet know you in truth, that something has been keeping them from that decision. They will open their eyes and the Holy Spirit will come in and make them aware of what it means to truly trust in Christ as the one who has paid for all of our sins and simply wants us to identify with him and to realize we can't pay for ourselves, but that he has paid it all on the cross and manifested by his glorious resurrection. We pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.